Well, good morning. My name is Eric Hoffman. If I haven't met you, I'm the executive pastor here at Fellowship Franklin. Uh, before we get started, we said <clears throat> we'd do a recap of our Pine Cove camp, and I just want to give you a little update of kind of what went down, not this last week, but the week before. And so a couple of pictures are scrolling through. Well, I just, so we started off this, this last uh, year, and we just said, you know what? We want to have a camp where there's actually grass and shade, and so we moved camp from our parking lot to New Hope Academy, one of our local partners. And with your generosity, we said, you know, we want to actually take camp and not just move it, but we want this to be for our community. But in order to do that, we needed to raise a certain amount of scholarship funds to be able to invite kids from our community, uh, people that you invited in there that don't, don't have a church home, then also Franklin Housing kids and some New Hope kids as well. So you guys, with your generosity, gave $17,000 to scholarship kids for camp. We had 160 kids come to camp, which is uh, 40 higher than we've ever had. And so we, we are just celebrating what God has done, what, he's, uh, what he did there. And just the, not only the diversity of different people from around our community, but also just the, the furthering of, of the gospel for kids who wouldn't have heard about it if it was here, would, probably wouldn't have come to it. We were able to extend that through your generosity, and we're so, we're so grateful. If your kids went to camp, I want you to give Emily Drake a huge hug on the way out. Don't tell her what it was for, just, just hug her, just make it awkward. No, I'm just kidding. She, uh, she is our children's director. And just went above and beyond uh, when we were talking about um, this partnership and, and doing this. She said yes, and that came with a million other questions that she had to, to track down. Her and her team, um, Leanne Buck and Jennifer McReynolds and Callie and Deschner, uh, JJ, uh, Bobby. I mean, just the whole team kind of came alongside. This was a team effort. And so just so grateful for um, how that vision was implemented. Uh, was so, was so great to see. So I wanted, wanted you guys to see that. Well, if you want to open your Bible to Ecclesiastes 4, if you haven't already, if you don't have a Bible, you just grab the one in front of the seat back in front of you. You can borrow that or on your phone. Now, uh, I've talked to some of you, uh, especially my wife, and she says that Ecclesiastes is starting to feel a little like a downer, you know? It's just like, have you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen SNL skit with uh, Debbie Downer? Do you remember that? Where this character, they're having this normal conversation, then she brings in this like, just heavy, weighty fact, like, hey, your dog's probably going to die of cancer before it ever gets hit by a car. And you're like, what? Like, you know, and then the, then the music comes in, it's like, wah, wah, you know. That's what some of you are feeling with Solomon. And I think there's a reason that you're feeling it. As Americans, we insulate our lives so much that anything that's hard, suffering, we want fast, efficient, easy. We don't want pain. We don't want to talk about illness. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about work and vanity and all this stuff. We're like, okay, Solomon, get it over with. Let's move past this. But I think there's something that God has for us in the sobering reality of what Solomon is doing here. Solomon is a reminder. Solomon was the the wisest man, he asked God for wisdom, and he was rich beyond anything that we've ever seen. And so he is on a quest to trace down where does true meaning, meaningful uh, life happen, where is happiness truly found, and he traces it down in work, he chases it down in pleasure, he chases it down in all sorts of different ways. And he comes to the end, and, he, and you know, he's going to make some recommendations for us. But this passage today, what we're going we're gonna to look at, is actually going to point out to us that 
there is something that is designed by God as a way of living. There is a way of living that is actually better than other ways of life. And so it's God designed it this way, and it's through relationships. And so we're going to see this as kind of a thread through this. Now, this section of Ecclesiastes is written as wisdom literature. Uh, Ecclesiastes in whole is wisdom literature, but when you think of wisdom literature, you probably think of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is hard to teach through because it's just one after another, thought after thought, wisdom after wisdom. And so it's going to be a little bit like that as this passage, but we're going to focus in on 9 through 12. The reason as a church that we chose this book is because we recognize that we live in Williamson County. And Williamson County is not a normal county. Uh, there, is, there is riches here. There is wealth. There is opportunity. There are, uh, there are so many different parks. There's different ways that you can spend your life. And so the book of Ecclesiastes, we wanted, as we started thinking about how do we walk in our next 20 years as a church, our mission, values, and vision that God has given us, we want to unmask the pursuit of the good life in our community so we can figure out what God is calling us to truly. And so that's what um, the book of Ecclesiastes does. It, it, it pulls uh, the pursuit of the good life. And we believe that behind all the nice homes and all the beautiful landscaping and those things, there is real brokenness in our community that we have to wrestle with, that we have to see is, is this what God is asking us to step into? So where we are this morning, uh, chapter 4, 4 through 16. Um, before we dive in, I'm going to give you a little context of just the relational side of this. Um, I've read uh, several articles this week and in this last month talking about the loneliness epidemic that is happening in American society. We have more than any other society has ever had, uh, the luxuries and the technology and the things that are happening, and yet we are one of the loneliest uh, societies that has ever existed. Uh, the suicide rate is up 30%. Uh, chronic depression, anxiety in teenagers, and depression in teenagers is hitting at an all-time high. And I think there's some things that Solomon's going to speak into that will actually uncover some of these things. Robert Putman wrote a book that was, was pretty famous as a sociologist is called Bowling Alone. Do you guys remember that? And in it, he said, this is, this is 18 years ago, he said that people are bowling more than they ever have, yet they're doing it less and less in leagues and are doing it more as individuals. His research showed that club meetings are down 58%, family dinners are down 33%, inviting friends over for any reason is down 45%, erosion of so social capital, and the more independent and isolated we have become. That was 18 years ago. And the question is, has it gotten any better? I don't think so. So... We are um, going to kind of wrestle with some of these things today. There was a, an artist that I was, uh, I was looking at, and some of these, um, it kind of went along with his book. And I think, you, I think this artist was inspired by this, but he took pictures of people just in their normal, uh, everyday lives. And this is kind of what he started to discover. He was trying to uncover that we are lonelier ever because we're with people, but we're actually not with people. We're somewhere else. We're on our devices. Let's look at this next image. Um, these two people have just joined their lives together, and um, there they are, you know. Happiness is somewhere else, you know, apparently. Then let's look at this next one. This next one, do you not see um, sometimes your house in that? And I think this is where, not to be like Solomon and bring sobering reality, but this is, this is kind of 
where it's so easy to, to do this. Anytime that I'm, I'm just like waiting around or whatever, what do I do? You just pull out the phone. It's just, it's just, kind, of what we, it's just kind of what we do. And the thing that I want to I wanna get to is that God has given us relationships as common grace to experience him tangibly. And we often miss the presence of others. And so I hope that this uh, message is a catalyst for us to make, make some tangible choices uh, this morning. What I'm going to do is I want to work through the uh, 16 verses and then come back through 9 through 12 and dig a little bit deeper in there. So let's start with verses 4 through 6 if you have your Bibles with you. There is a, a, a beginning and an end cap phrase that he says. This too is vanity and striving after a wind. He uses it in 4 and then uses it in 16. Now look at verses 4 through 6. He is describing something, not that he's just noticed, or, um, but he's actually sought this all the way out with work. And he, he comes to the conclusion that behind all advancement, behind all of work, really why people are striving so hard is it really has to do with rivalry of your neighbor. And so I want to just point out a little bit of like, what is he talking about when he's talking about rivalry with our neighbor? He's talking about discontentment and unsatisfied heart, but he's talking about it more in the sense of comparison. The reason why you strive so hard is because of the comparison you have with your neighbor. It's the striving to compare. We compare the way we look, what we have, how others parent, the grades that we get, uh, their achievements, others' achievements. We want to be set apart. We want to be unique. We want to be envied even. But how many of us, and think about this, how many of us, if you post to social media, how many of you, you in the last couple of weeks have posted a picture where you didn't have your makeup, your kids were crying, you were, you were shuffled, you just got out of bed. It was just the reality of your life. How many of you posted that? Exactly. So how many of you, yeah, one person raised their hand. Yeah, come on. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> So, but the, the thing is, is like how many of you, when we're looking at social media, social media isn't honest because it's posting the best of your life. It's posting, oh, look at this beautiful filet steak that I just ordered and you're not eating it, but I am. You know, it's posting me laughing with my friends. It's posting me going to the, the Justin Timberlake concert and not you. You know, it's posting the best of our lives. And so when you're scrolling through social media, is it not easy to think, man, their life is so much better than mine. They probably, they probably don't struggle with their spouse. You know, they, they probably have it all together. I mean, isn't that what social media can kind of, kind of do to us? And I think it's the comparison trap that we can live into. Now listen to this, what C.S. Lewis um, talks about in skewing our realities of pride. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are actually more proud of being richer, cleverer, or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally as rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Thanks, C.S. Lewis. Now, we all talk about this phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, and I don't mean J.J. Jones. I mean, like, the Joneses, right? Like, and I think in, in our society, it's even we can want to become the Jones. We can want to become the family that, that has it all, that does everything right, that looks a certain way, that the kids are polished up, you know, the, the, the house that we have, the school that we want to get into if we're, if we're just graduating high school. 
We can talk about our job title and those type of things. But this comparison that Solomon is talking about isn't just about things. It's innate in us that we believe that comparison with others is it's kind of this thing that can rot our souls. He's talking about this idea that, you know, it's like you think the grass is greener on the other side or that if I just had this, then the grass is greener. You know, it's just kind of that cycle that you can get into. It's a funny story that my mother-in-law reminded me about after first service when we were, I was, we, had, we were engaged to Melissa, and, um, and I was over at their house for Christmas, and uh, her father, Larry, had got them all iPods, and it was like when they first came out, it was kind of like all the rage and all that kind of stuff. They stored like five songs on them, probably, at that point. <laughs> But uh, they, he got them engraved. He got one of each of the daughters that. And one of the daughters had already got one from uh, her in-laws. And so there's an extra one. And I happened to have enough cash in my pocket to buy it. And, and I was just like, I want that. I want it right now. And Melissa's like, don't you want to like, you know, think about it? I mean, that's a lot of money. And I was like, give it to me. I literally did say it in that voice. I mean, I'm not even, like, for exaggeration. I wanted it so bad. But that's what Solomon is talking about. Like, why, why did I feel like I needed it? It was because I didn't have it and someone else did. Is like, is this kind of like there's something in me um, like that? It's, it's, isn't it true, like, when your kids go to, like, play, if you have kids, you know, they go and they play somewhere else, and then, like, their, their Christmas list gets a whole lot longer after they play with a friend? You know, it's like the discontentment um, that we have. And it's not just about... Um, things. It's about the comparison of life. Because some of us aren't driven by things. Like some of us aren't material um, thinking in that. But I want, I want to say this. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to point out when he's talking about rivalry is this. Comparison steals joy. I just want you to write that down and just, and just think on that this week. Comparison steals joy. It always will rob us of joy. What Solomon is exposing, again, isn't just about material things. It's, it's going to manifest itself different in us. There's this thing in us that's innate in wanting something else or wanting something that we don't currently have. And we can get caught in this lie that we can think, if I only had this, if I only lived here, if I only moved, if I only had this, then I'd be fulfilled. But again, it's not about things. So let me just paint a picture for some of you. Some of you are, aren't driven by the things of this world. You might be driven by the approval of others. It's like how you're viewed if, you, if you're looked at a certain way. We want to be revered for our reputation. Some of us are driven for work, accomplishing a lot of things. It's why we can't rest. We can't actually put down work. Some just want to get things done, get through the task. Some of us are driven to control life. Some of us are driven for security, for peace, for some of us, it's being different and not being put in a box, being unique, or wanting to live carefree or live an adventure. See, there's different things that drive us, but all of those different things, we are, are we trying to say, this thing that I'm being driven after, I think it will actually fulfill my life. If I only had fill in the blank, then my life would be, what, complete. And so that's what Solomon is, is talking about and I think it's right for us to uh, ask God to expose what is that thing that we think would cause us per- perfection, would cause us true meaningness, true happiness. What is that? The antidote to comparison is always gratitude. The comparison trap, the, uh, the way that we get out of it is gratitude. Gratitude for what God has given us, the strength to work, even the imperfections of our life that cause us to be dependent on God. 
It's gratitude that actually leads us back to joy. It's gratitude that allows us to be present with somebody else. It's gratitude that says, I get to be with this person right here. I don't have to go somewhere else or escape somewhere else on my device. I can be perfectly present with this person. That is what thankfulness does. Another way of saying it um, that I think Solomon was talking about relationally, uh, a question to ask is, can I celebrate when others succeed? Am I happy for others when they succeed? Or is there something in me that almost secretly wishes for people to fail? So this is something to to think about. Verse 7 through 8. He's going to continue on this thread that's going to, I think, tie 9 through 12 together. But there's an image that he creates of this person that is so greed-based, so, so full of wanting power and money that they are doing all of that, but they're sacrificing what money can't buy, and that's true relationship. So I want you to picture the, the thought that came to mind when I was studying was, um, you remember Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life? Do you remember that, that nice man? No. Like, what was he? He was so greed-based that he didn't care for others, right? It's, it's Scrooge. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. It's, it's someone who can't see relationships around him. And what Solomon is pointing out here isn't that they're, they're wealthy. It's that that has driven them so much that they actually don't have anyone to share it with. That's the sad part of their life. He's looking at their life and saying, it's sad of how they have gained a lot, but they've forgotten others. All right, now let's look into the chunk that I actually want to uh, read, verse 9 through 12, and we're, we're going to spend a lot of time at the end. Um, 9 through 12 is often read at weddings. I don't know if you guys have ever read this at your wedding, but a cord of three strands easily broken. Uh, not easily broken, sorry. I said that wrong. Uh, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now notice this is the first time that Solomon is actually kind of pointing out this is better than. There's a better way of living. This is the the better way of life. So he's pointing out something for us that we need to take note because all up to this point, it's been like, oh, that's vanity. That's driving after the wind. That's vanity. But now he's saying, no, no, pay attention. Wisest man on, on, the, on the face of the earth, a quest for wisdom of where does true meaning and happiness come from. And he's saying this is better. For if either of them falls, then the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls and doesn't have anywhere to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily torn apart. Now, we may read it at at weddings, and that's not inappropriate. But what Solomon is talking about is actually bigger than this. This is relational the way that God has designed us. This doesn't have to do with just intimate relationships or just relationships in marriage. This is talking about us as humans, we have this need. So he draws this conclusion that it's better to have others alongside. It's better, not just two, but have multiple. And so as, um, as we look at this, um, I just want us just to make some observations. Many commentators are talking about here that Solomon is really looking at this as a journey, people who are on a journey. Now, Solomon's day, a journey was dangerous. You know, our day, what do we do? We fill up the minivan and we, and we put on the air conditioning and we put down the DVD players for the kids and we just take off a round, round trip. That, that, time, that time when Solomon was alive, it's like you had to pack your food, you had to pack your water. There was going to be people who were probably going to try to rob you 
people who maybe been enemies if you're traveling a, a long distance. Then you probably had to stop at some place, find shelter, try to keep warm. The elements would have been an issue. So the journey uh, metaphor that is he is, is developing here is actually one of life. He's, uh, he's, he's talking about that this journey that these people are on, that there are going to be tragedies. There are going to be things that are going to cause you to fall. There are going to be things where you are going to need comfort, where you're going to need encouragement. He is talking about just the realities of life. And when you have somebody else with you, it makes those tragedies, um, it, it helps in those tragedies when you have someone else. As a pastor of this congregation for the last eight years, one of the things that I've noticed is tragedy is going to hit. Like there always will be something that will come up there, whether it's illness, whether it's relational, uh, whether it's a tragedy, like a natural disaster of the floods or, or whatever it was. But one thing that I've noticed um, is when tragedy strikes, it's those who have invested in community that I see get through tragedy in ways that are actually beautiful. So the Venables, um, several years ago, they're, they're not here this morning, but the Venables, I remember when they, they called me and they're like, our house is, is on fire. Um, and we, we came over there. And I, I thought, like, I don't know. I don't know how many people are going to be here. There was like 50 people at their house praying for them, even helping right away, immediately, and then for the next several months. And I, I tried to picture if they hadn't invested years and years and years into other people, how different that experience would have been. Trying to put back their house, trying to, trying to cook dinner and clean their house, trying to, I mean, just think about the tragedy. And so there's, there's, there's people that I see who have invested in community who walk through tragedy and it's so different. And there's people who I, I get to, to hear of tragedy and no one else knows because they haven't invested in community. And that's what Solomon is saying. There's two ways of walking this life. Tragedy and, and falls and those type of things are going to happen. That is why it's better when, to have community. Because he points out the benefits of what it's like to walk in community. And I think that's so true for us. There's help when we fall. There is there's warmth. There's comfort. There's people who are there for us. He's saying life under the sun is hard, but it is better when you have community and relationship. It is God's design. So let's go back. If we're going to pull this thread out, let's go back to how God designed and wired us as humans. We have to go back to Genesis. We go back to Genesis 2. God makes man. He makes Adam. And what do we see? The pattern in Genesis is God created this and it was good. God created this and it was And then he gets to Adam and it's not good that man is alone. So there's something innate in the way that God has designed us that we need others, that we need our creator, that we need to be dependent on God, but we also need one another. And it also points to the beauty of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in community. Community and relationships with others is one of God's common grace. What do I mean by common grace? Well, every human can experience God's common grace. This isn't salvation grace. This is 
common grace. This is food that tastes good. This is sunshine. This is rain that grows things. This is art. This is beauty of nature. This is relationships with others. Even people who don't even acknowledge that there is a God can experience God's good, tangible grace and his common grace through relationships with others. They can experience family. They can experience love in relationships, acceptance in community. And that is God's common grace. We were designed for relationship. I want to dive back into this um, at the end. I want to finish up uh, the, the 16 verses. So let's quickly look at 12 through 16. I'm not going to spend much time on here. A lot of different interpretations on this. It's kind of vague because of the individuals and relationships with each other. But the best, the best we can see is this youth advances from poverty to uh, having power in the kingdom. But then Solomon noticed, and I think the main point is verse 13. And I think it actually speaks back into our, our, our passage as well. He comes up to power and has prestige, but he cannot receive correction. And I think this kind of goes in with community as well. Community actually brings um, different perspective to us, and community is a mirror to us, that we, can, we need to be able to receive correction. And it kind of goes into the fall. If, if, if one falls, another can pick him up. Um, think about uh, Solomon's other Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, there's many times where Solomon will talk about community in a way that is um, you want people around you who will say hard things to you because it shows what we have as blind spots. They're blind spots for a reason because we're blind to them. Think about, um, I think it's uh, 2717, uh, as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens another man. Think about uh, a wounds of a friend are better than a wounds from an enemy because it's loving, it's loving you, it's showing you something. That, I think that's kind of what he's getting at in verse 13. Now, let's go to the so what. So what do we do with this, this chapter 4 in Ecclesiastes? How now shall we live in light of what we just talked about? A big part of Jesus' uh, redemption plan was not that we would just be alone. So think about in John 14 through 16, he's talking with his disciples and he talks about the Holy Spirit. You are going to have the Holy Spirit who is going to be with you, who indwells you. But then in Acts 1.8, he talks about that we not only have the Spirit, but then from that point on in Acts 2, when we talked, looked at this last, our last series, we actually have the church. The church is starting to form as this community, as this unity. Now, as Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to God, we are now sons and daughters of God. But now we also have reconciliation with others that we are now brothers and sisters in the church. He's given us community to actually walk this life with. He's, he's actually showing the beauty of what hard relationships, how they can be redeemed. Think about in Acts 2 what happens. Immediately you have the church being formed and you have all of these people who once were enemies who looked and separated each other um, based on where, what tribe they were, based on um, what region they were. And now God is saying, no, you are the church. And they're forming together. What one, they were trying to destroy each other and wouldn't even eat with each other. Now God is saying, you are brothers and sisters. He is showing that relationships, even though they're hard, they can be redeemed and they can be reconciled and that we can have community that isn't based on what, we, what our nationality is, what, uh, where we come from, what our heritage is. It's not based on any of those things. It's solely based in Christ, and that is our foundation for relationship. And so the church is actually this beautiful fulfillment of that. One of the things that we've been talking about as leadership is um, 
how do we live out um, what God is calling us to is a mission and vision and our, and our values as we've been reshaping those and re-talking, rethinking those for our next 20 years. In the fall, we're going to be having a series that's just going to go over new mission, new vision, values, where God is leading us as a church. And one of the things that's very clear that he's leading us back to is that we need to be a, a place that has deep relationships as a family of faith. And one of the things that uh, we want to get back to is, is kind of in our name, Fellowship Bible Church is the first part of our, our name, to have fellowship with one another, not just attend church together and then do, th- do th- religious activities together, but to be a family of faith that lives this out. And so one of the ways that we want to do that is, is really up our group initiative of how we get people into community, whether that's in homes, whether that's in, in groups and those type of things. And so we, we felt like it would be good for us to put someone that have a little bit more energy around groups. Now, J.J. Jones, when he came on, he's talking about family discipleship and living that out. And we are still going to be doing that, but we're going to be carrying that strategy through groups. And so JJ is actually going to be leading up our fellowship group leaders and leadership of that, which I couldn't be more thrilled. He's a true shepherd and he will give, uh, he, he has a heart for family and caring for one another. And so what this is going to do is we're going to, we're going to try to launch five new groups. If you're a fellowship group leader, we're going to be contacting you. JJ is going to be um, getting us together. If you are interested in leading a group, maybe you've led a group before and you're like, Eric, I want back in the game. I want to be part of this. Um, contact JJ. We're going to be pulling you together. But in the fall, we're going to encourage everyone to get into a fellowship group as we talk about our mission and values. We want all of us to be on the same page and how we are going to live that out. Like how JJ, is, we've been talking about how we're going to do our strategy of family discipleship, of encouraging of you guys, of how, how we do that is going to be through the context of relationships. That's how we think that, that community and change happens. So we'll talk more about that in, in, the, in the future. Now, one thing, I want to get really practical. That's for us collectively as a church, but I want to get really practical for us as individuals. What prevents us from relationships that Solomon is talking about? Like, what are the barriers that actually prevent us? Because we have, on this one hand, we have America and our culture is getting more and more isolated and more and more lonely. And yet, we all want more relationships. Like, we want deep, meaningful relationships. So how do we get there? I think the thing that I've been thinking about is that we want community, but I think we want convenient community. I think we want community that has no cost to us. It's so easy for us to say we want community, but the reality is, don't we expect others to be the pursuers and the initiators of it? I mean, true community that Solomon is talking about does not happen by accident. Like, it, it takes intentionality. And it's, I think it's easier for us to say, you know, we complain that no one's invited us over for a meal, um, or I want a mentor, or I want, I want, you know, I want to have those relationships, but yet we haven't been the people who would say, no, we didn't do it. It's easier to, to blame others. Now, this isn't a sermon about together is better and it's easier and get in community and then all, all of your problems will be solved because that's just not true because relationships are hard. There's many, many of you who are like, the reason, Eric, that I'm not in a fellowship group is I had a bad experience in a fellowship group, you know, or I got, I, you know, the reason I don't do women's ministry anymore is like, I had a bad experience in women's ministry. I'm not trying to gloss over that or make light of 
of like hurts or pains or wounds that you've endured in, in relationship with others. All I'm trying to say is there is a cost to living in isolation and there is a cost to living in community. It's just which one are you going to choose? Which cost are you going to choose? And Solomon, I think, clearly the wisest person on the earth, we would be wise to listen to him and say it's better to choose the cost of having relationships that have this level of substance than to live in isolation. I think that's, I think that's the choice that we, we have to make. Relationships with others spur growth because it, 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 ca- it causes us to be humble. We have to be humble enough to hear how we may not be easy to be in community with. I remember a conversation that I had with, with Melissa, this was probably just several months ago, and I came to this conclusion. I'm like, I don't know why I get so defensive with you and, get, and go to self-protection. You love me, and you care for me, and you want what's best for me. I just need to stop self-protecting around you. And she goes, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> it was like a newsflash for me. Like, I came to this epiphany. But for her, she's just like, yeah, stupid, you know? And so... <laughs> I think for us, there's so, there's so much in us that the gospel has to become real for us to actually live out community. Because we have to be secure in who Christ has made us to be, secure enough to be able to hear hard things, and secure enough to be able to say hard things. And the beauty of community is it will always stretch you and always um, focus on, on dependence. It's always about serving and, and then also receiving. It's, it's mutual. It's not using people for community, and it's not just serving people to get community. It's a, a perfect balance in the, in the middle. And community, what it does is it forces you to hear different perspectives. Like, there's people in, in, when I'm in community, and sometimes I'm like, man, I don't want to hear their perspective. I know what it's going to be, you know. But, you know, it's like, it causes me to look at how did I come to this conclusion? Am I missing something? Do I not have empathy here? Am I looking at this wrong? That's what community does. It causes us to be dependent on God and the Holy Spirit to live out community. If you are thinking this morning, Man, I hope someone else that maybe have relational conflict is listening to this sermon because I hope they see how much of fault they're in. (laughs) Then I just want to say you might be deceived because relational conflict is never just one-sided. Now, I've I've, I've sat with many people in my office, and usually the first thing that people want to talk about is how the other person has wronged them, how the other person is to blame, how the other person can't see their sin, how the other person— and by the end, and then when you hear the other person's story, they're like, what do they start with? How the other person is wrong, how the other person's to blame, how the other person can't see their sin. And the reality is, is there's there's very few, if any, relational conflict that I've ever seen that is just one-sided. There's usually always something for us to own, but that takes great humility. That takes great humility to walk that path of community and walk in intentional community, is to Open yourself up to be able to see, is there something that I am missing that I am blind to? It's called a blind spot for a reason. You are blind to it. You need others. And that's what Solomon is, is saying. There's an RUF sermon um, that I, I read re- this week, and it says this, Only in the gospel is there a context for real relationships, because Jesus, as our true friend, sets us free to serve others rather than just to use them. In a culture that idolizes friendship, there is very little real friendship. The number one problem people identify when asked is loneliness. 
And it is no wonder when individualism is the religion of our age. For all the talk of friends, there are a lot of lonely people out there. Perhaps we place so much value on friends in a desperate hope that maybe the relationships we choose will be there when we need them. When we are in true relationship, we can receive wounds from a friend, and if done in love, it has spurred the most growth in me. I mean, personally speaking, I, I can say that the people who have loved me enough to say hard things to me because I know they're for me are the people that I actually trust the most. Because I know that they care that much, that they would be willing to, to risk that and have enough courage to say something hard. Those are the people that you want in your life. And so an action step, this is where I want us to get to today. There might be something that you need to do as an action step, and I want to kind of guide us, guide us through that. But one thing, I, I just, I just, as I'm thinking about it, is have you ever said to someone who you know loves and cares for you, have you ever said, if you ever see anything in me that prevents me, like you think is a, is a rough edge or, or something that I am missing, have you given other people permission to say that? Have you given them permission and actually been laid down the defenses? to actually hear it. Doesn't that, that, that's where the gospel comes in, our security in Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want us to actually, uh, I want to guide, guide you through. Here's three things I want to take away from a community, if you're taking notes. Three things about community. Community is essential. Community is a mirror. And community allows us to see tangible grace. It's essential. It's a mirror. And it allows us to experience tangible grace. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And, and as, as they come up, here's what I want to do. Jesus, when, he, um, when, when someone asked, what is the greatest commandment that you have? Jesus responded, and he said, it's to love God with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then to love our neighbor as yourself. And so what I want to do is I want to guide you through just a, a prayer exercise of just asking God, And kind of from Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know me. Know if there's any anxious or harmful way in me and lead me on the way to everlasting. I want you to pray that prayer and I'm going to lead you through kind of just how to pray. How do, we, how do we walk with God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength with the hope that we leave here empowered by the Holy Spirit to choose in action? So would, I'm going to guide us through this prayer. So you can, you can if you want, if whatever helps you concentrate, if you want to close your eyes, bow your head, I'm just going to be asking these questions that will kind of lead us through how do we make this decision kind of wholeheartedly in this way. So, Father, we do pray. Psalm 139, God, would you search us and know us this morning? Would you test and see if there's any anxious thoughts in us? That we can be completely honest with you this morning because you love us, you care for us. We don't have to hide from you. And so we fully come to you this morning. So as you've been sitting here this morning, what thoughts have come to your mind about community and relationship? Has it spurred thoughts of gratitude? Maybe you just need to thank God for the the close relationships you have. Is there a conflict that has come to mind? What are you thinking about relationships? Just bring, ask God to bring that to your attention right now, to your thoughts.
As you consider what you have been thinking about, I want you to consider how that has made you feel. What are your emotions and affections around this as you're being made aware of it? Is it gratitude? Is it maybe guilt that you don't have these relationships or shame around something specific? Is it sadness for relationship lost or maybe you've had even just anger or resentment that has just surfaced? Now at a soul level, I want you just to ask God, God, what am I desiring in relationships? What am I longing for in community? I want you to reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to help you see a choice that you could make. Now, this is a choice that only you could do with his empowerment. It's not doing it in your own self-sufficiency. But is there an action this morning that you need to take in light of this message on relationship? Is your action forgiveness? Setting up a time and reaching out to resolving conflict? Inviting a neighbor or a member of this church to a meal? Could be signing up for discipleship or leading a community group. What is an action step that you feel the Holy Spirit is empowering you to make this morning? Father, we come to you as people who will not and cannot live perfectly with one another. But Father, we recognize our great need, not only for relationship with you, but relationship with others. So right now I pray for those who don't have peace with relationship with you. Would they know that through your great love, through your son, that you want relationship with them for eternity. And for those of us who have wounds of relational wounds, would we choose the hard path of forgiveness, but the path of freedom? Intimacy is hard, God, and we need you. It is not cheap. It is not easy. We will not accidentally get to these type of relationships. God, would you empower us to choose it? Would you empower us to risk it? Would you lead us away from playing it safe and just attending church? God, would you allow us to get honest? That we were designed for community, yet we fight for independence. That we want community, but we rarely initiate towards it. So Father, we ask for you to remind us of who we are as deeply loved children of you. Would you allow us to feel and sense your love and know your love that we can extend it in such a way that others experience your tangible grace and relationship? Would we be that type of people, your people? I pray this in your name. Church, I want to have you stand up. One of the things...
that we have the privilege of doing week in and week out is singing and being with each other in this way. And one of the things that I think was that I'm mindful of is that when we sing, some of you are coming in and, and you're, you know, you're at a place where you just don't feel like singing. And so that's okay. I want you to actually hear the voices of others to be an encouragement to you. So we get to sing as a church. This is a, a communal song of how we respond to Jesus about his great love, but also the relationships and the common grace that he has given. So let's sing in response this morning.